the Baffler article. Yeah. It was pretty good, except for like the one paragraph where the person was just like, oh, so fascism has a definition? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, really <laughs> smugly, just like everything is yeah. fascist. Everything that's right wing uh, and even like whiffs of illiberalism is fascism. Hello, and welcome to The Regrettable Century. I'm Chris. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jason. And I guess you all will be hearing this the week of Christmas, so this is our special holiday episode. (laughs) (laughs) Bring in the holiday cheer. We're here to spread that Christmas cheer, aren't we? Or, you know, holiday cheer. Sorry. Uh, No, I'm not. Well, um... Today, we are digging into a topic that we sort of have mentioned in passing, <laughs> like, on and off, all throughout the history of our um, our podcast, and that is the topic of happiness industry socialism, which I think we're going to try a little bit harder to define what that is and talk about why it's dumb and bad. Yeah, I mean, essentially, like, it's probably self-evident that happiness industry socialism is the left-wing equivalent of the neoliberal uh, compulsion to turn that frown upside down and fake it till you make it and just like be mindful and practice practice happiness kind of no matter what's happening to you. Um, but there is like a more systemic kind of political critique than just uh, a, a sort of a, a fist shaking at the delusions that masquerade that pass for politics on the left right now. Um, yes, not three old men shaking fist at clouds. <laughs> uh, I'm only 36, so I'm only an old man in in my. Uh, it was getting my mind, I guess. Pretty sharp though for an old man. <laughs> Still, doesn't really work. I'm really bad with metaphors. <laughs> I'm uh, getting older all the time and staying younger in my mind. Is that the is that Goldfinger? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes, it's a Goldfinger lyric. I was thinking I will stay young. To give you an, a, give you an idea inside. of how old I am. <laughs> okay, so we read a few articles. One of them was about the prevailing attitudes on the left, specifically within the DSA and Jacobin, because that was that is what makes up a majority of the anti-capitalist left in this country. And um, basically, it sets the tone for the... Uh, the political landscape that we'll be having this discussion in. And I think that it makes some pretty good points. For one, I think I'm of, you know, just scrolling through my, my feed on any, any one of the social media apps that I have an account on, you know, you get two different, two different opposing views. There's the, well, we actually made some really good gains. Things are looking up. We are winning kind of view. Um, and then there's the other one, which is the shut the fuck up, quit being so happy, <laughs> of, of which I am a part of. I, I, <laughs> that, I'm definitely a partisan of the shut the fuck up and quit being so happy view. I, def, I, tried, I tried to not be a fucking wet blanket when Trump was, you know, lo- officially lost the election. But at the same time, it's just like the amount of enthusiasm for what amounted to, at best, just a devastating Pyrrhic victory. Uh, the amount of enthusiasm for that was just, like, sickening to me. It was very hard to not just want to be, like, to, to just grab people and fucking shake them and tell them, this is not good! Nothing good happened! <laughs> he didn't. He just wanted to grab them by the ears and puke in their faces. <laughs> 
I hate punks. What is that from? I have no idea. It's it's, it's like a one of those you know intro clips to some punk song from the nineties that I was on a compilation that I had. Yeah, well, it stuck with me, and uh, none of the rest of it did. Yeah. So that's sorry about derailing us. <laughs> So, I mean, I think that, like, you know, my feeling coming out of the election was, like, uh, there was that um, – uh, uh, is that, you know, like, the the Trump Trump losing feels really good and watching, uh, you know, Trump supporters, uh, you know, be giant crybabies about it feels really good. And there's a oh, yeah, that was strong nice. that was temptation nice. to just revel in that. Uh, yeah, there was a bit of shooting fruity in the world in that. More than um Yeah, <laughs> yeah yes. shooting fruity. Um yeah. don't worry, we'll put the link Scoot- to how to pronounce that word in the show notes. <laughs> scootin' fruity. Oh scootin' fruity, right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why anybody listens to this fucking podcast. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin's completely <laughs> lost his composure. <laughs> Dude, we fucking found something that Kevin will think is that Kevin thinks is funny. Oh man, oh, man. we've we've broken we've broken his iron grip. Kevin's tyranny is over. <laughs> Kevin. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, right. okay, that's Sorry, all good. Dude. And I needed I needed that. Thank you. Yeah. I really did. Mm. Um, <clears throat> scootin' fruity. Um, that felt really good. Uh, to watch, it feels really good still. I mean, honestly, it's an ongoing like just um, uh, just to watch him keep comedy losing show. Yeah, exactly. Over and, and over his, again. you know, and his his little like the 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 biggest dipshits on the planet who love him and are always running around the uh, around, uh, around everywhere they go in the world and especially in, on the internet uh uh flouting themselves and trying to act like the, how superior they are to everyone and how they can uh, uh call everybody snowflakes and rub everything in everybody's faces because they won uh, and they they keep trying to like just keep doing that because that felt so good and that's what they got used to doing before and but they keep trying to do it and now it it's just like blowing up in their face over and over and over and over and over again and um uh, and watching them just like just cry about it and be just giant babies feels really really good um but you know the flip side of that is Biden uh Trump lost yes but Biden won and um <clears throat> And that's yeah, that's the downside, uh, you know, and that's a um a loss for the left, uh, and so that you know that sucks and it's really shitty and um uh and uh and I suppose just like a a general attitude of triumphalism, uh, brings out the the inclination uh to say to everybody, hey, you know, there is a downside here too, you know. Yeah, one of my worst fears about the election was confirmed, which is that somebody was going to win, and they did. <laughs> um, but actually, I have to—I have to be honest that the the impulse, or rather, I guess, um, what kind of gave rise to the idea for this episode for me was just—it was an article that um, Art School Fail Son posted in the Discord. You know, I think it's the one, that, Chris, that you're talking about—the um, left wing hypomania. Is that the one? In the Baffler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, so you know, I mostly, I, I have to, you know, I, 
the reason why it's important for me to mention that is because uh, when I read it, I thought like, well, first of all, I have plenty of um, smaller political criticisms of it, like the misuse of the word fascism in the snarky misuse of the word fascism. Um, and the, it's like very dedicated to the misuse of yes. the word fascism. Uh, extremely fierce commitment to, to using that term um, in as broad a way as possible. But that's typical of the left. So that's not what's remarkable yeah, about that's- it. Yeah, and similarly the uh, the kind of overwrought Disney references, um, which worked at first, and then they kind of lost their steam, and that's also pretty typical on the left. What's not typical on the left is that it 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 sounded a tone that I think pretty much only find in the pages of the Salvage Journal and in older episodes of the Regrettable Century, and very few other places. And so when I read it, I thought like, oh hey, there's another one of us out there, um, like a fellow traveler, even without being associated. So it was just a really cool. Uh, realization and it um it kind of made me think that uh you know we 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 haven't dealt with the the contemporary attitude that prevails on the left in in this particular moment but really only in the broadest sense like we've talked about where we've come from in terms of the the long trajectory of the cold war and immediately post cold war sect world and then uh the kind of you know do the work socialism will win crowd that is sort of just the new the new left or whatever but uh, it really has kind of crystallized, it seems, around the election. Um, and in, in all of the the worst ways that our most pessimistic minds could possibly conjure up. Um, and this article kind of really hits the nail on the head. And it, it is sort of the exact opposite of the positions put forward by the, um, the DSA National Political Committee and Jacobin Magazine, which whatever else you could say about them really are like the general staff of the movement, you know, like they, what, what those institutions and what that institution and that publication put forward kind of tends to, to stand in for the majority opinion and the contrast between the two couldn't be more sharp. So, um, serious question. When you read socialism will win with like the claps (laughs) in between, is it pronounced socialism will win or is it socialism will win? Uh, it, see, in, in my mind, it's it's really lame and doesn't have a lot of rhythm. So it's more like socialism will win. <laughs> yeah, there we Just go. Just applauding while you're saying it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, don't actually know how that that uh, uh, works, but I, I I suppose I p- always picture it in my head with the the claps are, are happening at the same time as the word. Socialism will win. To me, the way I read it is socialism, full stop. Will, full stop. (laughs) Win, full stop. So it's like, it, you know, back when that first started coming out and people would type out like a paragraph, (laughs) like a a screed, and then put those in between. I'm like, oh, I'm not fucking reading that. (laughs) It's like like a telegram with the word stop. Yeah. Stop. (laughs) Um, exactly. So, okay. Like it's, it's really easy, I think, to pillory the kind of, uh, that rosy cheeked false optimism that has become, or that really has started off as the, as the, the principal foil to what it is that we're trying to do with this podcast. Um, but I think the fact that it, it, it doesn't exist in an unofficial way, but it actually exists in a, in a, in a, that that is the official propaganda of the largest socialist group in a generation with, you know, 85,000 members that kind of defines the politics of our time, uh, or at least the, uh, the, the, the 
the anti-establishment politics of our time, I think that it's actually important that we we don't just pill it. We don't just like kind of make fun of it and go, yeah, well, that's you know, that's over there, that's them, whatever, because that's everyone, right? It's um, yeah, and it's not just them, but it's also the it, it, there's the what dominates in terms of a critique it, that is most on display in the socialism is socialism winning article from Tempest magazine is you know really just as inadequate to me it's the one that's that's the one that's like uh electoral victories aren't a real measure of strength you can only win by putting pressure on the streets or whatever so it's basically the old iso line but repackaged as an internal dsa critique now and in both cases it just seems like uh we're not really talking about what's happening mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah w- w- when i read that one i was thinking okay well i agree with the criticisms of you know the optimism over the electoral victories because one of the one of the points that they made is that you know getting someone like sanders or whatever or aoc into a position of power doesn't mean that they're going to be able to accomplish anything and that to me was always my biggest like worry about sanders is that he would win and then just be completely ineffectual um but you know so that's that's true that's a that's a good point and also that Electoral victories aren't a gauge for the mood of the population because they don't really say what the people actually want when they vote for something. At the same, and at the same time, the thing that it calls for is basically just more of the same of what we've been doing since the sixties. You know, more sit-ins, more protests, more. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know what to say that we should do instead of that, but I kind of feel like that more of the same exact thing that that has been happening as we watch the left dwindle and dwindle. And then become more and more ineffective. Right. I think that the Tempest article, the the author of, first of all, I think is it's kind of funny the the sources uh, for this discussion because these are not uh, deep wells for us um, that we regularly draw from. What what are our sources? They're um, the DSA National Political Committee's official communique, uh, which I don't remember the last time I looked at one of those. Uh, Tempest Magazine, which I'm really unfamiliar with maybe i've read like one or two pieces from ever um the baffler which i don't think i've ever actually read uh and the guardian um and that's it right and i think you can compare that to uh what what have we been reading lately lacan zizek uh eugene mccarraher like but um <laughs> so that's a cheap point to score basically against uh the current state of our left which is that uh in order to in order to keep our finger on the pulse of the movement which of which we're ostensibly a part, even if we're um you know on the furthest fringes of it right like in order to keep our fingers on that pulse we have to we have to go to places that like i actually like have no interest in being like i don't i don't peruse Jacobin magazine or the baffler ever just to like look and see what they say very specifically in this case we were looking for uh <laughs> examples of the uh of the happiness industry. Uh, so even in the Tempest article, I sort of see some of that because it, you know, though, even the way it concludes, it says socialism is not winning, but it can, because it, it feels the impulse, you know, like it's, it's really on display that like, here's my list of criticisms. Uh, they're downplaying the, the defeats, uh, the electoral gains are confused, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. People believe in the democratic party and, and but still we can win. Like it, it can't end with the criticism that you know it can't it, it has to throw in on the end like don't worry y'all if only we we just do what i think we should do instead 
you know, the, the victory is still kind of around the corner. Right, exactly. They, they still haven't broken from the confines of this, of this uh, perpetual, uh, insistent optimism. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that's exactly right. That the, um, uh, you know, the two different approaches are, uh, ha- you know, having ha- having the same kernel of um, diluted optimism. Uh, just one is saying, uh, one approach is saying, see, look, what we've been doing is working. Let's do it even more. Um, and the other one is saying, no, no. Uh, what uh, you're uh, you're looking at it wrong. What you're doing isn't working. But if you do it the way that I say, uh, then it'll work. If you if you do it the way that we've been doing it before, we tried this other thing that's not working. Right. <laughs> then yeah. it'll work. Right. So you know the objection is uh, the masses um, have the wrong leader at the helm, the wrong captain at the helm. Put that's me right. at the helm, and then the ma- and then we'll win. Um, the common Trotskyist refrain, exactly, right? and uh, but and there's n- just an utter refusal, even to so the the criticism is uh, of of the captain, captain, uh, and uh, f- like for the purpose of being able to position themselves to uh, you know step in and take over, rather than the criticism being one of. Uh, 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 taking st- t- stepping back and taking a true stock of uh, of our situation of the the condition of the ship itself, and can this ship get us to our destination that we're sailing to or not? Yeah, see, that's Kevin. That's a good use of metaphor. I should uh, <laughs> I should play back that clip <laughs> to myself over and over again as a <laughs> as a we can learn some lessons there. Got to learn how. No, to I learn. think that's. That's exactly right. It's it's the 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 old critique of Trotskyism is, and you know, it is the case that however far formally from Trotskyism today, the the current American left is essentially the uh, it is carrying the inheritance of being Trotskyist in its past DNA, um, whether really consciously like in Tempest or is really unconsciously like in Jacobin and DSA. These are all people who come from. Trotsky to Schachtman to Harrington to to now it's the it's still somewhere back in in the origin story um and that and that criticism of, of Trotskyism's kind of fatal flaw is is I think really well made it's the it's that the the ship the design of the ship is perfect the engineers did the right thing the the builders did the right thing all the materials are proper but it's just the you just don't have a good person at the helm um it it's it's like the the liberal critique of government Yes, it's the same as the Trotskyist critique of movement. Right. It's it's funny how that works. That the the liberal critique of government, the Trotskyist critique of the movement, mirror each other so well. Just like the um, the mindfulness mentality of Silicon Valley tech billionaires is really well mirrored in the movement, which is uh, contrasting itself to the social system as a whole. That uh, you know, that you just got to keep the faith. Uh, they. Mm-hmm. <laughs> positive mental attitude yeah they completely mirror each other even though they have uh you know they have officially different aims but the it doesn't feel all that different to step in out of one world and into the other um it's you you could say it's all spectacle um but to get into some of the details uh you could say that you could say, some might say to get into some, some of the details the, like the in the dsa letter 
um, the the National Political Committee says, uh, you know, we are winning, and they make and they 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 use a, a Lenin reference, and they say this is one of those weeks where decades happen, and uh, you know sometimes it's fine to use a turn of phrase that is uh, memorable and sort of harkens back to the kind of the classics of of in revolutionary literature, but like Lenin was talking about revolutions those, a literal revolution yeah, yeah. the week yeah. It, it, the, the, that quote comes from i believe the weeks where decades happen is he was referring to the 1905 revolution i think it might have been the 1917 one but in any case it's like you know the the tsarist empire stands for centuries unshaken and the people's heads bowed and you know groveling in the dust and nothing so much as a whiff of real of real resistance um can be caught because of how oppressive the apparatus is and how stultifying the atmosphere is and so decade in and decade out people just suffer and endure and keep their heads down and you know pushkin has a i should have looked this up before making the reference but there's a pushkin poem where he refers to a people which does not deserve freedom he's talking about the russian people because he's so disgusted with the fact that there is no protest against injustice anywhere and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you know soviets happen general strikes um christians and muslims and jews working together uh, peasants taking the land, um, you know, this when the decades happened. The fact that 20 people that the DSA endorsed got elected into positions in the U.S. government uh, might be something to celebrate, but it's, you know, we might be overplaying things a little bit to say, oh, yeah, this is a lot like when the Russian people finally rose up in revolution. Um, I remember seeing that headline, um, the one that's like, you know, we are winning or whatever, the when it popped up on my Twitter feed and I was like, wait, we're what, <laughs> you know, cause we had just done our episode where we made fun of the Democrats for failing fucking miserably to accomplish anything. Yeah. Like in almost historic ways, it's, yeah, and, <laughs> this is one and, of those weeks where decades happen. It's like a week that encapsulates uh, the decades long drift from the new deal and great society into the present day. But like really yeah. in a sharp moment where, People's belief in the Democrats and in liberals uh, seems to be uh, finally just like gone. Basically, the decades that happened were the decades between 1970 and 19 and, and uh, 2020. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened just over again in the course of an election. There you go. <laughs> yeah. In that sense, I'm willing to um, accept the turn of phrase. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and then I read it. It was just like, oh, this is fucking delusional. Like I will, I, you know, I, granted it. The fact that the DSA has, you know, 85,000 members on paper is somewhat impressive. And so is the fact that, you know, some DSA members were elected to positions of power, right? Of some sort of power. And it's a it's a small win, right? Does it mean we're winning? Absolutely not. We're still losing very badly. Yeah, I think a sense of proportion is what's called for here. Um, yeah. Like, so the... the the sentiment in that uh, the DSA NPC letter, um, we're warning uh, his, being Biden, we're warning his administration a better world is coming and it's time we put those who stand in our way on notice. It's just so far afield from, hey, we've gotten a little bit of a, of a step forward. And, you know, the it's just, it's all, it completely defies any sense of proportion. Like having made a small victory is something to celebrate. Trying to translate that into an unstoppable forward momentum you know, that the locomotive is on the tracks of history and it's barreling ahead full steam. 
that is, as we have um, said many times, right, uh, is, is bound to confuse people and demoralize them when the reality of, uh, well, okay, so like when, when this kind of reality hits them, today I, I drove my car, you know, 20 minutes in one direction and 20 minutes back. On the way out, I drove past an anti-eviction protest that had only the evicted people at it. You know, it was like five people saying, stop this eviction. Um, and on the way back, I drove past a church with a, a line from the door around the back and to the, to the door again of people uh, dressed in, in various uh, examples of, of states of, of income from incredibly poor to not, who were in line for, for, uh, for meals, for, for uh, food assistance. And I'm thinking, like, we're winning? Like, this is the world that we're celebrating right now? What's called for right now is grim defiance. And a, and a leadership worthy of the name would say, yes, Biden won, and that's a repudiation of Trump. But also, yes, the Democrats have been thoroughly discredited as an opposition party. A handful of us have worked our way in to potentially stand out as like small beacons of light in the darkness. And that's something that we should grasp onto for hope. But don't delude yourselves. The fight's going to get harder, right? It's the, you know, it, it, the, Haiti won the revolution and won their independence, but now they have to stand against the whole world and not just the former slave masters on their island. It's That's the kind of sentiment that's needed right now. Not this, uh, you know, we got 20 out of 29 endorsed, endorsed candidates, not even members of the organization. And um, just to really put a, point, a pin on this point or to, to, to sharpen this point to its to its uh pokiest <laughs> um you know in chicago they just had to like kick one of the member the the one guy they elected they had to kick him out of the organization because he immediately well, just like they fell right in line they censured oh they didn't kick him out ah, okay yeah. okay but still okay so even 20 endorsed candidates winning has to be qualified by the fact that they'll endorse people who aren't necessarily good uh examples of the movement and and socialism to begin with it's just too many asterisks for this to be called winning. It seems to me like it's an an attempt to force a type of voluntarism that might be able to overcome overwhelming odds. Like you you feed the people the myth and then the people can prevail through sheer force of will, right? Hmm. It's it's a very like Sorelian kind of kind of method of of uh, motivation really and i think that it's not necessarily a good one um i think that that sort of perhaps they think they can gain a little bit of breathing room and get more and more people into the movement and get to the point where they actually will be winning if they can convince people that the winning has already started right maybe they can maybe it won't be an overly optimistic miscalculation if it just so happens to turn out that this like like 0.001% chance that they might be winning actually turns out to be winning in the future. You know what I mean? Sure. They can retro they can retcon the fact that they were right if things actually turn out good for them. Right. But right now maybe maybe the optimism will get us just just get us over the next first down line so we can move the chains a little bit further. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I you know I I'm 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 kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of, I have a kind of resistance to to that in that I, uh, I think Sorel was more 
on to something uh, with his, you know, um, call to, to myth making uh, to compel the, you know, pe- the, the people into action, into motion. Whereas I think. This is maybe dime store surrealism. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I take your point. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe that <laughs> would be a, a way to phrase it. Um, I just, well, I don't know. I, so, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to have a little, um, give a little leeway for, for it because, like, I don't know. I mean, I've I've been in leadership positions and in, in DSA and and uh, and uh, doing other other stuff or whatever and like uh just being a big fucking downer isn't a good motivator you know <laughs> sure uh, sure it 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 like there it, it is the case that um you know trying to get people on board and trying to like hype people up uh involves uh you know just uh being mercilessly opt- uh, optimistic and f- zeroing in focusing in on the the positive things people don't want to get on board with something that is failing uh they want to get on board with something that's that's winning i but what are they getting people on board for look, though it's a, it's a hard balance it's a difficult position to be in to then like be at the helm of this and then be like okay well there's 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 something uh, uh you know uh we've got to put out something and uh it's best to try to you know uh, highlight the good and and tell people to join up with the winners because that's what we are or whatever uh, than it is to tell people uh, everything sucks this is terrible and it's miserable and you should feel bad look i i'm i'm not unsympathetic to that but i think that like there's a difference between like when ho chi Minh said that uh, ultimately we'll win this war because we have to be in vietnam and you don't that's a different thing than uh mm. look guys we are winning currently you know, um, right. I do, like one thing I think that would be a terrible mistake is if somebody tried to establish like a a, a faction or current or, you know, heaven forbid, a, like a pre-party formation, which adopted as its formal position, a pessimism as like, oh, we're Marxist pessimists or revolutionary pessimists or whatever. That's a that that would be really taking the wrong lesson. And I think it's like very full of the party. Yeah. The party congress is like, I propose we do this and the whole crowd at the same time she's like Oh I don't know. Yeah, like I, I think I could probably think of a of a small handful of people that would uh would join it and uh, I it would be the number of people who listen. Not even, not even everybody who listens to the podcast would join it. I wouldn't join. I it. I wouldn't join it. Yeah, <laughs> of, yeah neither would I. Of course not. I think so maybe some of the fucking rubes that listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think that. Uh, I think right. So I'm not unsympathetic to that. That need to. Uh, there's a, there's a psychological need to be a part of something that has a chance to be doing something that is worth doing. Um, but I think that there's a level of political sophistication that I think just starts with a politi- with an analysis of conditions. And, um, you know, the, I think what's absent from both the, from all, from, from three different pieces from the, from the DSA uh, kind of, I, I don't know what to call it. I'm calling it the DSA letter, the official statement from the from the leadership, uh, the Jacobin article by Lisa Featherstone, and the Is Socialism Winning essay from Tempest. The thing that's missing from all of them is just 
like a like a real assessment of what of what's happening and what's possible. There in both in in every case, it's kind of conjecture. Uh, like the what what's so like one thing that's not a part of the discussion there is like what what is the level of like mobilization and organization of the working class? Like, is the left winning? Well, I don't know. How many strikes are there and what are their political demands? That would be one way that you could get a sense of how the left is doing. Um, the fact that the $15 an hour minimum wage passed in Florida, but so too did all the Republicans, says to me that the left is not winning because it is not seen as a political expression of the demands of people for their uh, well-being, that they're so obviously divorced from one another that uh, that they 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 are that you can't you can't make a connection between the two so uh right yeah the there's a republican landslide in florida and 15 dollar an hour minimum wage pass. right and and the point made in the uh left-wing hypomania article is that uh in california uh i like the way that the the author put it um another name i've forgotten so I didn't write it down um one of the things that uh, uh well that stands out as an actual win um in in on election night was prop 22 in california with the uh when the the tech industry helped really solidify the extremely precarious and arbitrary nature of employment in in you know liberal zones of this country like the divorce between the class and and whatever is supposed to qualify as its political expression is uh seems permanent and that is absent in the uh in the analysis from from every side uh of the of the, of yeah. the mainstream left I think that people are really missing how giant of a defeat that was in California that like set the tone for work moving forward in this country. Yeah. You know, that is the most progressive state in the union and it just made it legal um, contract employees like to pay them less than minimum wage to, uh, deny them benefits, basically, and it, that's the most progressive state in the union. Let's see how well it fares when that sort of th- when that sort of uh, thing branches outwards into the rest of the country. So it's the, the class politics have absolutely nothing to do with the Democratic Party. I mean, well, I mean, working class politics have nothing to do. With I was going to say, Party. yeah, there's there are, there's, there's a certain class, class politics. whose politics there's are very well politics, on display, right. very well represented. All politics are class politics. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I and I think that like trying to 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 acknowledge the gravity of that defeat will necessarily keep you from being able to say anything like we are winning, right? And so, um, really, if we're taking this criticism to its uh to its fullest conclusion, it's less a criticism of the attitude on the left, and it's more a criticism of the basis of the attitude itself. So for uh, one wing of uh, of the of the mainstream left, it's look we're we're winning because we have some representation in the halls of power as democratic socialists. And for another wing, it's um, no the proof of the where you will see signs of winning is where there are huge protests where people are uh, displaying their collective disagreement with the way they're being ruled. Um, and what that what that belies is that. In in neither case are the politics connected to a sense of the coming uh to the becoming fit to rule 
on the part of the working class and it through its expression uh, as as socialist consciousness as class consciousness um because i guess what I, what i'm trying to say is that uh we would basically have to have a completely different material underpinning to our uh to our organized expression in order to be able to talk seriously about whether or not we're winning or losing this this conversation about are we winning or are we losing based on what did or didn't happen in the elections is a problem not because elections aren't a good uh Ex, uh, way of of gauging what's happening, but because the elections aren't an expression of what's happening, the electoral victories are not an expression of, you know, union density, or um, you know, the number of contracts won, or the number of out uh, out and out political victories that can be won at the workplace, like uh, you know, like once we get to a point, if we can get to a point where uh. You know, somebody who's extremely hostile and problematic and whatever is uh, di- disciplined at work because the union demands it and not because there is a Twitter uh, scandal, right? <laughs> not, not because there's a Twitter scandal. Like, it, once we're no longer calling on the bosses to get rid of bad coworkers, but instead we're disciplining them because the union has enough control at work to be able to do so, that's where we're winning. Like, once a socialist victory in a city hall means that a $15 an hour minimum wage bill is being put forward. Um, you know, that's where we're, that's maybe where we're winning. I don't think we can say whether or not we're, well, I can say, I think we can say we're not winning, but I don't think that these articles are actually a conversation about anything of a very serious substance. They're a conversation about appearance. Um, and that's not even meant to be like, fuck all these people. I only, I get it or only we get it. It's really, it's the lamentable state of our left that all we have to go on are aesthetic victories and aesthetic uh, uh, questions of appearance. So, you know, because we haven't really made the connection yet, what makes this happiness industry socialism? We haven't really talked about what we mean by happiness industry socialism at all. We just kind of brought it out. Breeze right past oh, it. Yeah. That's true. Breeze past it. So the happiness industry, everyone knows what the happiness industry is. It's this, it's an, a whole industry based around the idea that you can overcome the real problems in your life by changing your mindset about them, right? So the, the mindfulness movement is another word for it. So it's essentially if you're, if you're depressed and you want to kill yourself because you hate your boring job and your shitty life, it's because you have the wrong mindset. And you can, you know, through different kinds of, you know, behavioral modification therapies and med- like mindfulness meditation and uh, positive reinforcement techni- techniques, you can uh, defeat your alienation from what it is that makes you human in order to 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 be a well-greased cog in the, the machine of capitalism, right? That's what it. That's what it actually. That's what it actually is. So when we say happiness industry socialism, what we mean is this putting forth this positive mental attitude, this constant like we can triumph over these conditions, um, as as long as we stay positive, as long as we keep keep that PMA, as long as we reach keep reaching for the torch, eventually we'll grab it, and. You know, we we don't have time for. I mean, there was an article. I think it was by uh, Jay Mufawad Paul, who talked about revolutionary pessimism and how 
uh, we needed to, to maintain a revolutionary, a revolutionary realism that realizes that communism is an achievable goal and we can always push through the pe pessimistic doubts that come into our minds in order to be able to move forward to the, you know, the glorious horizon or whatever. So that's ha the happiness industry, industry socialism we're talking about is that. But on top of that, one of the things I think is included in this is this, this, the whole the enjoyment that we on the left get from our engagement in the system, uh, in protesting the system and in, in the anger and catharsis that comes from opposing something that I think that this article, the, uh, the one of the baffler talked about the left's addiction to Trump. Like yeah. the left, the left really enjoys being angry at Trump and then shouting about it and displaying it in public. And that is typical of this type of left activist lifestyle of which I was a part for more than a decade where, you know, we really, that's our whole lives are a, a process of anger and catharsis and anger and catharsis. And you become addicted to that. And then the entire time, every single defeat that you ever, every single defeat that you ever come up against is just a step along the way towards an inevitable, an inevitable wind. And you have to maintain that positive view of the end goal in order to keep moving forward. And it's fed with that cycle of catharsis and anger. Yeah. It re that reminds me of a, it's like a fucking uh, heroin addict, right? It it's it reminds me of conversations that we've had with Neil, uh, from uh, from I can't say from from seventy eight. It sounds wrong. With a uh, Neil from 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 seventy eight. Neil of the from seventy eight podcast. Um, yes, he talks about jouissance and and this kind of yeah. left wing jouissance, or I don't know if I'm saying that word right. Jouissance. Who knows um, this French? Nobody can say anything right yeah. in French. That's true. Not, I think no it, one can. You're pronouncing too many of the letters. <laughs> nope. No one can. Not even the French. That's right. And it's it's uh, it's I guess it's the reason why we've we've all finally taken an interest in psychoanalysis because there is just something lacking in our in our um, toolkit and our repertoire here of uh, in terms of our ability to just accurately assess what it is that we're experiencing and what's happening around us. And it's not enough to be like. Uh, look at all these clowns being, you know, happy because a couple of small, maybe good things are potentially happening. Because um, we don't want to just be cranks, right? We don't want to just be uh, super black-pilled uh, guys wearing rolled-up beanies talking about how everybody who's happy is stupid. Um, even if that's true, it's just not good enough. <laughs> I yeah. think uh, we we've got to get a handle on the the way that this works as a process so as we can break free of that cycle you know like maybe for us it's it's enough to uh to adopt the 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 Bartleby politics of Slavoj Žižek and just say I'd prefer not to but um Kevin you make a good point you can't build a movement that way and we do exist in the in a world that still requires us to you know thrash ourselves against the rule of capital and and try to overcome it because we we still have the historical imperative of moving beyond uh, a private mode of production and and towards something that is you know more humane at its at its core because it's not only possible but it's also necessary. So we have to figure out a way to construct a politics which is is uh, 
willing to look reality in the face and still try to figure out a way to motivate people. Um, so no, it's not easy, certainly. But I think that if we can figure out a way to like um, articulate a grim defiance, maybe we can move away from uh, that that just like kind of false optimism that we get from basically old school social democracy and Stalinism, where it's just like history has determined that we're going in the right direction and we merely have to maintain. Um, because that's one thing that we just haven't we haven't gotten away from yet. And I'm also skeptical as to the project of the DSA political committee anyway, like to give people optimism, give people hope in order to join a movement to do what though? That's I what do they want to do? I mean, like when the the idea of the dirty break was fresh on people's minds, you know, my, I sat up and I listened, right? Yeah. That seems like a thing of the past now. Now it's this, our whole uh, electoral strategy has been working. So we're going to keep doing it. Uh, I don't think that that's a, that's a, I don't think that's a, a position that's going to gain any kind of, that's going to garner any kind of positive results. I think it's just going to end up being a big sheepdogging platform for the Democrats, regardless of whether or not they intend it to be that. Right. And and maybe if Bernie Sanders was president-elect, you could make a case that the Democratic Party has just become a field of a terrain of struggle for, you know, uh, socialist politics, like that, that, that something could come out of that. But actually, on the on the heels of the victory of the guy who presents himself as uh, the biggest opponent of socialism— um, it it is remarkable that, as you say, that the dirty break has dropped out of the lexicon. It's precisely in this moment yeah. when the dirty break is supposed to be the thing. It's it's like, you know, we 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 have taken it as far as it can go, which makes me think that it it would never happen, no matter what. Yeah, because uh, if if enormous defeat isn't where you try a new strategy, then like glorious victory is definitely not going to be when you try a new strategy. That's right. Right. So, you know, regardless of the fact that we all come from, you know, the sort of dissident communist tradition that whatever Trotskyism uh, in our, in our, in our past and our, our, despite our lifelong kind of commitment to the, the notion that we must break from the Democrats, the Sanders moment, which was, you know, a pretty long moment of several years, was something that motivated all all three of us, and uh, to some degree, you know, mm-hmm. to to varying degrees. But we were all like, yeah, that was a moment to have uh, to to turn our our sights in a different direction. But like, it, it is disheartening to see the 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 generation which basically of, of the left, which was basically created by that moment, not able to recognize that that moment might might have passed. And it's not even like I mean, obviously, I would like to convince everybody that it has. But to even to to not even be having the discussion at all, it's not even a question whether or not that moment has passed. It just translates into uh, down ballot, you know, lesser Bernieism. Um, and if that is the metric, you know, maybe twenty of twenty nine endorsed candidates is probably it. Maybe that's not good enough even on its own terms. How many people got elected in twenty twenty total? Like how many thousands of people were elected to some position or another? Yeah. 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 It's like what we used to say, what we have said in uh, previous episodes about the uh, delusional world 
uh, that of of the small left wing sect that like no matter what happens, there was always a uh, there was always a ready made theoretical assessment. Like oh, whether whether it fails or it succeeds, we already know in advance what the reason is. Uh, and the same thing seems to be true and on display with this new left, and and that's a cause for concern because uh, surely we um, <laughs> surely we should have come further than this by now. This might be a good place to reassert uh, the kind of founding uh, arguments of this podcast about capitalist realism, and that we are not yet at the end of capitalist realism, that like we are still right. operating in a, in a period in history in which the horizon is completely defined by what is acceptable within the parameters of the establishment and of the, of the dominant social order. That there mm-hmm. maybe there's a new moment in Marxism, maybe there's a new popularity of socialism, maybe there um, is going to be uh, a major wave of class struggle, and certainly we have just seen a, a major social rebellion, even you know in the last few months. But we haven't yet uh, broken the orbit yet. You know we're still kind of in this cycle of, uh, if you look at. You know, Corbin Sanders is the highest expression of the movement in our in our lifetimes, um, and what has galvanized people into, you know, some sort of you know, kind of a mode of resistance. It's still really, really low horizons and really low sights, and fairly low stakes. Um, and it's you know, it's just a fucking bummer. <laughs> I think that the George Floyd rebellion and the movement against police brutality is a pretty good example of what you just said in the sense that it it started out incredibly radical and you know police station was burned down and the demand was to defund the police i mean abolish the police defund the police you know um and the demand stayed radical and then the movement disappeared and the demand is still there it's out in the ether it's being still echoed by the the small core of radical organizers that are holding on to that. But for the most part, with a few notable exceptions, uh, the movement is just completely died out with no, with no positive effects. Yeah. And to me, I look at that and I think those demands were good radical demands, right? But they were demands made within the system for a thing that could not exist until the system was destroyed. But if you talk to people about it like that, they're like, no, you see, this is how it could happen. This is how we can have no police. Essentially, the argument is that, you know, it's about the recuperation of of an incredibly radical demand. And that is the result of, that's the responsibility of what qualifies as leadership of the movement. It's not the individual people on the ground at all. It's the people responsible for taking the grievances of the population and then articulating them in political form. Um, and and when you look at leadership, you see, uh, when you look for leadership, rather, you see um, the NGO types who are trying to funnel this in a, in a peaceful, safe way. And then the, the complete absence of a socialist leadership. It, that would be able to 
for you to even be able to, that even tried to uh, articulate those See, demands. So my point more here is that the idea of like abolish the police or defund the police was a slogan that was taken up by everybody all the way across the movement. So it made it look like, look, this is a popular demand. Oh, I see. Yeah. But the willingness to stick to that demand and make sure that it was carried out evaporated. Yeah. So it was like every normie that had never been to a protest in their life came out of the streets and took up that demand and put it in their Twitter profile or whatever. And still tags it when they post fucking scorching memes. But that's it. Well, that's that's the whole of politics, though, right? Is posting scorching yeah. memes. What else is there? Um, but so, so that that's really my point is that like the horizons are so low that the demand to abolish the police is satiated by the removal of some statues and the painting of Black Lives Matter on some streets. Right, leaving the police largely untouched which is why i said at the time and got no small amount of fucking hate thrown my way (laughs) as a as a result that the government pulling down a statue overnight while no one is paying attention isn't a victory it's like crumbs being pushed off the table right it's so that hopefully you'll eat them and shut up and and it worked yeah it kind of worked um yeah and it kind of worked not because people are stupid, and it kind of worked not because uh, we live in some like objectively impossible time. And this does come dangerously close to the uh, blaming the the captain and not the ship. Uh, but it it is it is to some degree a a, a, a matter of political misleadership, but not exclusively because it's not just that we have the right apparatus and we're just, it's just not being. Yeah, we have no right. apparatus. That's, that's exactly right. We don't have a ship, but we do have uh, some really bad captains. We got a bunch of people in the water and some really bad captains. <laughs> yeah, to take the metaphor People are just kind of like floating along. Some people have like life yeah. uh, saver things around the middle. Some people are in like little planks of wood. Uh, other people are just yeah. kind of like barely keeping their mouth above water with nothing to hold on to, but are like lashing, splashing around and trying to grab onto the people around them to pull themselves up. Uh, and we're all just sort of like floating in the ocean. And then there's a few delusional people in the crowd uh, who consider themselves captains and others who uh, criticize them for doing a bad job at uh, captaining the ship. There you go. That's that's exactly what's happening. We're all floating in the water, but some of us are saying, this is great. <laughs> and some of us are saying, it would be great if I was the one saying it. <laughs> and then other people are getting fucking eaten. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I do want to qualify that I don't think I don't think statues being taken down is not a victory. I'll say that it's a symbolic victory, and we have far too many of those without any material, concrete victories. So, we have allowed ourselves to be filled up on symbolic victories, and to mistake them for concrete victories. There you go. We've we've like filled up on bread victories, and the nourishing food yeah. hasn't come yet. <laughs> It's like when you go to the when you go to the Olive Garden and they give you endless <laughs> breadsticks and you're like so full of that by the time it gets to the meal you can hardly even touch the pasta. Although it, although yeah, so in this case even, you don't eat that much of it. Yeah. I'll... You don't realize that it sucks ass <laughs> yes. and uh you still go back later for the free bread. Yeah. That's uh it's a pretty good metaphor for the the current state of the anglophone left is Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> 
and that's not a joke. I really think that's a great it's a great stand-in. <laughs> All right, man, we're we're actually doing metaphors properly. This <laughs> yeah, time. well, the difference is that Kevin's here. Yeah, yeah. Me- metaphors are like it's it's actually a serious subject uh, in um, in philosophy. Like like what is a metaphor yeah. and like what's its proper use? I think that uh, previous previous seasons, previous years of our podcast, um, like we we make this this point in a lot of different contexts we we do it in like episode 5 25 26 31 of season one and we make it in episode 8 and 12 of season two in in a really explicit way but it's also a, th- a thread that runs all throughout every episode and uh i wonder sometimes if we shouldn't be further along and having like a second gear for this thing because we're regularly just lamenting the state of things um but on the other hand i guess we are all just victims of our time and place and the time and place that we're in fucking suck <laughs> well yeah i mean maybe there isn't a yeah. second year but it's worth uh considering the question before arriving at the conclusion yeah I suppose so like we should at least be looking for second gear instead of just being in first gear and being like we're going so fast <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude, burning out our fucking transmission. <laughs> listen, to, listen to the engine. It's like, that shit out. <laughs> that's how you know we're going fast. <laughs> it's fucking smoke coming out from underneath the car. It's because we're fucking burning rubber. Fucking rules. <laughs> going like about seven and a half miles an hour. Why, why the fuck does anybody listen to this podcast? <laughs> I wanted to just make a note about um, the Baffler article's discussion of everything's fascism um, uh, to, you know, a, a sort of um, absurdist extent that line of thinking can be taken. Uh, I don't I, I, I don't know. I, I actually don't think that it was um, out of line uh, with the rest of the article. I don't think it could have just been simply excised out of the article i think it was perhaps something to be criticized in the approach about the approach or the perspective because i mean he the author was using it to illustrate the point that we need to get out of never never land and we need to start uh grappling with the difficulties of uh, gritty reality um and that and you know as a, a to, to demonstrate this look around the world we've got fascists in power everywhere india the us uh you know pinochet was a fascist in chile and you know whatever else uh, his his list of uh what he called neo fascists um uh i i think the importance of taking stock of that and not just dismissing it uh, as a um uh maybe you know a bad analysis uh is that is is this not a warning sign is this not a function uh, a warning sign a canary uh that um speaks to a dysfunction that could be uh, arise from this pers- uh, embrace uh, 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 of an embrace of this perspective that uh, leads you to uh malign uh, too many things with too broad a brush. Explore it a little bit more. Um, so rather than um, uh, dismissing um, a, a piece of the article as simply, uh, oh well, this was a product of the of a person's of the author's uh, bad analysis. Um, 
I'm wondering what would happen if we an, analyze that uh, this uh, section that we disagree with uh, more so as a um, uh, as a function of his analysis that we are agreeing with, um, and a uh, so it's a a feature, not a bug, uh, that his uh, attempt to be to take a um, uh, uh, you know Benjaminian organization of pessimism um that he wants to uh dismiss uh uh you know whatever the um cult of happiness or whatever the thing is called uh and instead say we need to look at how horrible absolutely everything truly is that then led him to um uh the step of embracing Okay. Yeah. Embracing a, a a an analysis that was the most negative one uh, among a set of analyses of the political situation. That most negative one is that fascism is everywhere and it's ruling and everywhere. And so, uh, my my question is, uh, should we take this? Is it? Um, 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 Am I wrong to raise the for the concern to come up into my mind that um, that maybe this is the other side. This is the downside of this perspective is that it too quickly embraces the most negative perspective, even when that's not an accurate assessment of uh, reality. Okay. yeah, yeah. Um, I think that. Yeah, that, that could be. That could be what it is that we're looking at. Um, I also think that the the term – I mean, I don't think that this person is using the term fascism the way that a lot of people on the left do, mm-hmm. where it's just like a placeholder for any kind of authoritarianism, right? I think that these people actually see right populism as mm-hmm. fascism and that he actually sees, I mean, right populism as fascism. And that he thinks that this is just some, you know, incipient, you know, some sort of like nascent, some sort of nascent form of fascism that could get really, could get really bad. But we're definitely looking at fascism here, which I still totally disagree with. And it's not because (laughs) it's not because I have like a, a, a more optimistic outlook. I think I said this on one episode is like, yeah, I might get my teeth kicked in on the street by some fucking goon, but he's just going to be like a, a supporter of, you know, right wing neoliberalism and not a fascist. Right. It's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the historical argument that Marx makes about the onset of industrial society and what he calls scientific socialism, like his his socialism, as opposed to the various utopian schemes of religious millenarian sects or reformers, you know, at the helm or inside the bureaucratic apparatus of state or whatever, is that um, if we don't make any distinction at all, then it actually makes it more difficult for us to figure out how to operate. So, like, if it, you know, if there's no difference between the communism of Marx and the communism of Jesus, then the only the then the explanation for what has happened in history is a failure of human willpower and ingenuity, rather than a failure, uh, a, rather than a, a change in historical and objective circumstances and possibilities. 
Similarly, if everything you know xenophobic and nationalistic and violent and authoritarian is fascist, then the difference between uh, you know the Pinkertons and Andrew Jackson and Hitler and Bill Clinton is a moot point because it's all the same thing. It's all not communism, so it's all fascism. Liberalism is fascism. Yeah, the different, you know, the difference between the von Papen government and the Hitler government—they're both fascist. Right, and so that's the practical—that's the practical <laughs> effect of not no, not making a hard enough distinction. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if it's the result of a the f- taking taking a p- particular position and and flowing from it so much as I uh, I don't know the answer to your question in a direct sense, but but. A, Another thing that I, another thought that I do have about it is that it is a sign of a kind of I don't want to say intellectual laziness, but a theoretical weakness of the contemporary left. That uh, you know, the the tendency, the desire to oversimplify uh, and and collapse things in on themselves, uh, it actually does the opposite of clarification. It, it really mystifies the world. And and if you're, you know, if if, if everything is unclear, then it's harder to, to make a chart in it to, you know, the navigational chart that the captains will use on the good ship should ever we build one. Yeah, it's like, I think we, we've we've mentioned this before, um, that this is always my example for why it makes, why it, we should be clear that fascism is its own specific thing and has its, poses its own specific dangers is because of the 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 Hitler the 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 Weimar Germany example where the social democrats and the communists refused to unite against uh against the Nazis because they figured they were just the same kind they were just one kind of fascism specifically in the in the case of the communists the if, Brunig was a fascist von Papen was a fascist yeah. Hitler is a fascist what's the fucking difference no one expected for the Nazis to be as bad as they were. So okay, uh, right. so well, I mean, and- I, I think that 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 uh, puts it as uh, the re- the response then to the concern I raise is uh, not is to say that um, I, I'm wrong to say that this is a function of his, of uh, the author being too pessimistic, but rather it's a function of the author not being pessimistic enough. I was about to say because if this is already fascism. Then, it can't like, get any worse, you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the the fascism is the worst thing there is, and the and the the author says America tends towards fascism anyway. And I'm like, bro, what? Right. So, to, <laughs> what the fuck? We're not always in danger uh, at every moment in history of repeating the mistakes of the KPD uh, relative to the Hitler question, but that doesn't mean that. Uh, the a similar level of uh theoretical uh confusion can't lead to similarly or or let's say s- equally catastrophic results in in different circumstances so to take an example um joe biden just got elected president and everybody's happy about it and that's not to say that you know oh now we're going to get hitler but it's actually the this the reason we're in this situation is because people were worried we were going to get hitler and they were so worried that we were going to get Hitler, and by Hitler we mean a second Trump administration or a second term for the Trump administration, which I guess was going to be juiced up to a thousand percent because the first four years of Trump kind of felt a lot like, you know, Clinton, Bush, Obama, whatever. But that concern, that confusion, 
that hysteria uh, about the looming threat of fascism in the form of uh, Trump 2020 not only enabled the liberal establishment to, to beat back significant forces on the left around the Sanders moment, but then it, it further cowed um, the left into submission around Biden, which means the, some of the results of which, or some of the effects of which, rather, I think you can see as uh, the left having nothing to say other than, well, we are glad that we beat Trump, but now it's time to push Biden left, which is the same thing that the liberals say. We don't have an independent position. We don't have a critique of our own. We don't have a political orientation of any kind. And part of that is the result of having been dragged behind the liberals in this delusion about Trump as, and fascism. So one of the, if ever there's a reason to be pessimistic is to look at what the leadership of this movement has done in the face of uh, this resounding defeat and this, you know, being forced to bend the knee to uh, somebody who's going to personify being thrown out of your house, being, you know, let go from your job and dying of, of you know, COVID without a fucking healthcare plan. And we're supposed to call that a victory because Donald Trump's not president anymore. Because we can't even just critically support or like critically engage in the election and say, oh, we fucking hate this guy. And here's our plan of action on day on day one, because... The political consequences have psychological effects, and they and they they reinforce each other. So what we have is a left which needs desperately to feel like it's winning, even though it very clearly is not winning. So that's why we have to be specific and clear in what we're saying. We should know exactly how fucked we are, so we can have a plan based on that. And not to draw too many parallels to the Weimar government, but I don't think it could ever hurt for people to understand what actually happened. And... In the election that eventually won Hitler the chancellorship, he lost to to von Hindenburg, and the Social Democrats threw their weight behind von Hindenburg as a lesser evil candidate to Hitler, who was running for president as well. So von Hindenburg won, and then he appointed Hitler chancellor because the Nazis were the biggest single party in parliament. So electing some sort of safe benevolent old man centrist <laughs> when the uh political opposite the rightest political opposition is still enormous and formidable is not a fucking victory right and you know i'm not saying that biden is gonna uh, you know appoint the 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 hitler that'll tom cotton know, or whatever six, yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we really are underestimating Kamala Harris yeah, right now. Well, okay, but you yeah. know, it's you know, it's not a perfect <laughs> historical analog. But you know, to when fascism comes to the United States, it will be a cop, and it will be a person. <laughs> it will be a, yes, a black woman. It will be a yes, a yes queening, WOC cop vice president. No, look, like you know, no, you can't you can't draw direct parallels between the United States and and Weimar Germany, but you can draw political lessons from Weimar Germany and apply them to the United States today. And so maybe, you know, we don't have a von Papen to appoint a Hitler. Um, sorry, a, maybe we don't have a von Hindenburg to appoint a Hitler, but we do have a liberal establishment. Well, you're not wrong. Von Papen was Hindenburg's chancellor and he appointed Hitler to replace him ah. at von at von Hindenburg's Right. Orders. Well, God damn it. <laughs> the point is that what we do have... <laughs> you're right either way. <laughs> but, but the point is that what we do have is... A liberal establishment that has already um, welcomed George Bush and uh, Dick Cheney 
and that whole generation of fucking war criminals, genocidal maniacs, back into the the world of normal politics yep. and res- and respectability, yep. and they're going to do the exact same thing with all the people from the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. So probably no, even Trump such- himself, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Give it a year or two, and look, Joe Biden has already said, uh, you know, in defiance of all the wishes of uh, you know all of his supporters. That he wants unity and he wants peace and he wants to, things to get back to normal or whatever. And for some reason, everybody thinks like, oh, Donald Trump's going to go to jail because of his fucking taxes or whatever. Like, No, what's going to happen is that these fucking monsters are going to continue to be best friends just like they were before the election and after the election. And and in that sense, the the situ, you know, it, it is actually something that you can learn from the, the historical experience of these miscalculations made by the left about who's who. And that's the reason why... Um, one of the assessments that's made in hindsight is though is all fascism is because um we're just so befuddled by uh you know it's the it's it's like because we placed our faith faith in the liberals and then they disappointed us again and again and so our heads are spinning uh it's 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 similar to you know when you have that kind of just this protest is the beginning of the uptick you know that's going to you know cause the birth of the party and the revolution or whatever and then when you don't get it you're in despair, and so you have to trick yourself. All of this is is really just a discussion about clarity, no matter how grim that reality might be. 